Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. listening to Rum Buncher Radio. We're back. A lot has gone on as we roll through the month of July. Now, into the month of August, uh, the Pirates have had all kinds of transactions. We're going to get into a lot of that today. Marty Lee, Nick Caparoso, and Trey Andy joining you for this episode. And not just the transactions, but we want to talk about some of these guys that have come on as the season has gone on, have, you know, kind of come on as their careers have gone on. We're going to talk about Mitch Keller, the pitching staff, uh, Tremar Johnson has signed his contract since the last time we jumped on here. And we're going to recap the rest of the draft as well. Talk about some of those more exciting picks and how they're doing so far. Uh, and the trade deadline, of course, has gone down, um, you know, in these last couple of weeks since we had an episode. So, guys, as we uh, as we get into it tonight, a lot to talk about. But how are you gentlemen doing as as it's August begins? Yeah, not, not too bad. Um, I, I know this is something Nick can relate to and any other teachers out there listening. I stepped foot in my classroom today for the first time all summer. Mm-hmm. So it's it's time to actually get the gears get the gears spinning there and start getting ready for the fall but yeah no i can't complain too much yeah i've been spending some time this week at school as well just getting my classroom ready like you said and um you know gonna try to enjoy these last couple weeks and look forward to getting back you know obviously in the swing of things at school and you know towards the uh, end of the baseball season here any uh, any new class decorations for this school year? Well, I, I am changing uh, middle schools in the district, so I got a whole new room. Uh, I'm very happy to uh, get it's a good size and everything, and so yeah, it's a it's a good setup. Yeah, I also have a whole new room this year, and I haven't even started to tackle that quite yet. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll get there. No doubt, I'm sure it'll be uh, you know decked out in black and gold, as I'm assuming the other classrooms were as well, but. Good to hear it, guys. I, I didn't want to bring up the school. I'm glad you did, and I hope the, the first week here is going well. And I uh, hope when the kids get in session, that'll get off to a hot start as well. Uh, but, of course, the Pirates, uh, you know, another hot trade deadline here. As sellers, Jose Quintana was going to be the main piece. We knew that. And, you know, we started to see a lot of movement, not just with the Pirates, but around Major League Baseball in general. A couple days before the official trade deadline, really the day before on August 1st. Uh, you know, but even before that, Daniel Vogelbach, uh, was dealt to the Mets. The Pirates received Colin Holderman in return. Uh, he had been sensational in New York. And, um, you know, as a reliever, a little bit skeptical when you see this kind of headline trade, the Pirates get a reliever in return for a guy that, you know, had been a legitimate bat in the lineup and a guy that has had success already there at City Field. Uh, but your guys' take, is, as you saw Colin Holderman, the name there in return, and, um, you know, what you expect to see appearance-wise the rest of the season, what you're excited about for Holderman. I mean, I'm assuming the rest of the season we're going to see Holderman used a lot like we have. Give him two inning outings, give him high leverage situations, you know, see what you have in them. 
um, actually like two weeks before the Mets traded for Vogelbach, I wrote about how Vogelbach would be a good fit for the Mets and the trade I proposed was Vogelbach for Colin Holderman and Drew Smith. Um, so I almost nailed that one. And actually, it's probably for the best of Pirates to not also get Drew Smith because he's since gone on the injured list, I believe, with an elbow issue. So that's probably not good. But no, um, yeah, Holderman, I mean, his first two outings with the Pirates, he posted zeros. It was a little shaky. His control wasn't good. He was giving up a lot of hard contact. Had a much better outing against Baltimore over the weekend. So, you know, the, all the results have been there for him all year with the Mets. He was he was starting to pitch his way in a pretty important role in the Mets bullpen to help bridge bridge things from the rotation, Edwin Diaz. So I, I do think that that's one that, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the trade, largely because with Vogelbach, a player under control through next year, would have liked to have seen a little bit more in return for him. That said, I still think Holderman could pitch his way into being a big part of this bullpen moving forward. Yeah, I know, you know, just looking on social media, Mets fans were disappointed uh, to to lose Holderman. So, you know, that was obviously a good sign. You always like to see, you know, opposing fans being a little bummed out. But uh, like you said, Marty, I, I didn't really know what to expect with the return. I was underwhelmed at first, but then the more I thought about, it, the more is, you know, we, we traded a, a platoon strictly DH player, um, you know, weren't going to get a ton. It's not like he's, you know, one of the most elite hitters in the league per se. You know, he, he's a, like I said, he can mash against uh, right-handed pitching, give good at bats and, but you can't really use him outside of that. So looking at it from that angle, it's kind of like, okay, like, you know, they got a, a relief pitcher, um, you know, one for one kind of makes sense in that situation. Like you said, Holerman, I mean, the stuff's there. You can see that for sure. Uh, first couple outings, like you said, were a little, little shaky, but you know, young, young guy, not a ton of big league experience going to a new team. You know, I'm sure he was pumped up a little bit more than, than usual. So hopefully, like you said, we start to see him walk in, you know, as one of these made the seventh inning, eighth inning guy, like you said, a bridge guy too, who can go across multiple innings. So uh, like, like what we got in him, um, you know, and, Hopefully uh, Vogelbach, you know, works out so far for the Mets. So it looks like a good deal for both sides. Yeah, no doubt. And already a win registered for Mr. Holderman. And like you're saying, Nick, it's always fun to, to get on Twitter and see, uh, you know, the reaction of other fans once their player is dealt, um, you know, to see him ticked off. Or, you know, maybe even better when you see the projections on Twitter and the mocks and that kind of stuff. And, Opposing fans, oh, you'll never get that guy. And then he does come in return. Don't know if Colin Holderman is necessarily one of those guys, but um, you know, a piece that you can you can put in your bullpen right away at the major league level. So you love that. Um, you don't have to wait on him for a few years like a lot of these prospects. Like I said, Honestly, Trey, real quick, sorry to cut you off, but that's a good point too. Is you know the proximity to the major leagues, you you typically take a little less value in those situations because of that, um, you know, it's just a standard and baseball trade market for the most part. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's just something else to keep in mind. Like you said, the fact that they got someone plug them right in, you know, it, it just made sense as a one for one move. Do you think, do you think that maybe that was Ben Sherrington kind of trying to appease the fans in a sense, because so many of these trades have included, you know, 18, 19, even you know, 15, 16 year olds, guys that aren't even close. Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I think it's the idea that they want this team to start to actually be competitive, you know, and they're 
they're truly starting to invest into the younger players and the near-term future of this team finally. Um, so I think it was, yeah, trying to appease, but at the same time, like, you know, getting a getting a good piece to help an area that then was in definitely was in need. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, and I know we'll get into it here in a second. But even you look at the Jose Quintana trade again, two pieces that are very close to the major league level, including one who already has a decent amount of major league experience. So I, I do think that that's part of it. And like you said, Nick, we're seeing them start to invest somewhat. You know, you had the Hayes extension. There's been a lot of buzz from Brian Reynolds and that he's very open to contract extension talks this off season. So, you know, it does make sense to where in theory, and this is one thing I've been critical of the front office of, cause I don't totally see it yet, but in theory, you should be looking at next year as starting to try and be a bit more competitive. And I will say though, that the moves they made the trade trade deadline are moves that are made with that in mind. So, I mean, like you said, Trey, I mean, you're not you're not going to make a move to appease the fan base per se, but it's a lot easier to keep the fans happy on a trade when you move players and either right away or in the near future, you can see the return for those players start to make an impact in the majors. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, that trade reminds me a lot of – uh, the Neil Huntington trade back in, I think it, it was either 2011 or 2012 when they traded Brad Lincoln for Snyder. It was a very similar thing, except the opposite, yeah. essentially. Yeah, that, that's a good comparison. That was 2012. That's a good comparison because, I, I mean, this was like, you know, the infancy days of Pirates Twitter, but there were a lot of, uh, a lot of just – galaxy brain takes that the only reason the 2012 pirates fell apart in September missed those seasons because they did not have that amazing clubhouse presence of Brad Lincoln, which is something to this day. I will never, ever fully understand. He wasn't really in the league much longer. <laughs> exactly. Like, but, but, but without him, I mean, let's ignore the fact Snyder then went on to play on three postseason teams. That's what I mean. Snyder stuck an extremely important role in 2014 when the whole oh, was hurt, but I, I digress, but yeah, no, it's it, yeah, that's that's a very good comparison. Travis Snyder fit those teams so well too. I mean, it was that was a fun player to to follow. Uh, you know, there's so many big personalities, big names on those teams. But Travis Snyder, a guy that I think got enough credit during that time. Uh, yeah, Brad Lincoln. Easter Sunday, 2014. I would never forget it. My dad and I were putting flooring down in one of the rooms in his house. And we had the pirate game on out in the living room and heard a big commotion around to look. And Travis Snyder's out there getting slugged by Martin Maldonado. What, what happy Easter, everybody. What about that time he threw that ball like into the concession stand? <laughs> it was not even close. <laughs> it was before they had the netting. So it, it literally, I've never seen that. That was Travis Snyder's biggest impact on baseball. He helped get netting the whole way around. But in all seriousness, you're right. Snyder, like, he, he deserves more credit than he gets. Neil Huntington deserves credit for picking him up. Um, he was a guy who was, you know, similar to what we see Charrington picking up, you know, a former top prospect who just for one reason injuries and kind of just not getting that opportunity kind of fell off and he was able to bring him in here and get something out of him. And that's kind of what, you know, like I said, we've been seeing Charrington try to do and he did that with Quintana this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of move over to that trade, it was, uh, it was kind of a shocker. It was like, holy shit, the Pirates just traded with a division rival for, you know, maybe the best trade ship. What was your guys' thoughts when you saw the Cardinals as the uh, as the team before we even saw the return? 
I laughed. I know that. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I was laying in bed. I was getting ready to go to sleep and I saw it on Twitter. So for me, it was more like, oh shit, I got to get up and write about this now. But um, no, it, it was it was a surprise because I mean, we, we've talked about it. We expected Quintana to be moved. I was thinking Yankees all along. And then about the Yankees, Blue Jays made a lot of sense. Yeah. The Cardinals so, weren't on the radar, but no, they, why they would they be? You know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was I, on the surface. I I, I think it, it, it's it's a, it's a fair trade. Jose Quintana is on the wrong side of thirty. He has been no offense to him. He's been terrible the last three seasons. Now he's pitched extremely well this year, obviously, which has been great to see for the Pirates. But you're you're not going to get a ton for a pitcher who's on the wrong side of thirty, has a lot of innings on those arm and on arm, and has not prior to this year had not pitched well since what, like 2018, 2019. So to be able to net, you know, Malcolm Nunez, who has a lot of power potential and was a top 10 prospect in a very deep Cardinals farm system, along with Johan Oviedo, who is, has a very live arm, tremendous slider already has major league experience. The Pirates are going to try him as a starter. Um, he has struggled in his career as a starter uh, when they first announced they were going to start a triple A, I was a little leery of it, but the more I've looked into it, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that the Cardinals throwing him to the fire as a starter in the 2020 hellhole of the COVID season could have potentially had some issues with his development. So let's see what they do. I mean, if Oviedo pans out as a starter, great. Worst case scenario, you're probably looking at a really, really good bullpen arm with a wipeout slider. And you know what? I'll take five or six years of that and a potential slugging first base DH type in return for a 30 something year old starting pitcher who hadn't pitched well in three years. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm right there with you, Marty, in terms of training Quintana. That's why you signed him. You signed him to hopefully be able to flip him at the deadline. They probably got more out of him than they could have ever expected. Like Marty said, just based off his recent track record, you know, I was, I was, I was leery of the signing. You know, I was not sure about it at first. I was like, okay, like, yeah, but, you know, you know is he going to bounce back? Is this going to be another Digger Collin thing where he just kind of sticks around on the roster? We'll see what happens. But like you said, to get um, two players in the upper levels speaks to what I think the, the team is trying to do. Um, you know, he probably could have got higher upside, more raw, younger players who would have been higher up on, you know, the prospect list and really grab some attention. But I, you know, I, like I said, I think we're seeing um, this transition to try to get more big league help now where they're kind of seeing, they especially need that help. And uh, Aviato, like you said, at the very least, we know he's going to be a good reliever. So to give him some starts here for the last month and a half of the season, like, why not? I mean, like you said, I the 2020 season, if you look at a lot of the top prospects who were forced into that season, they're still struggling like today. Like they're not a lot of them really worked through that. And it was such a different season. You had guys who were on the 40 man roster, like for the uh, Diamondbacks, Perdermo, he's hitting under 200, but he was like the, one of their top prospects but he got forced into that that 2020 season and you know got exposed and it's maybe just taking these guys a little bit more time to kind of get back on the right track after you know such a anomaly 
So, you know, I'm excited to see what he can do. If he can be a starter, you know, I remember seeing him in 2020. Like you said, he's he's got good stuff. You know, so we'll see. If he can become a starter for the Pirates, that would be huge. Yeah, one other thing, too, I'm going to add on. You said, Nick, about <clears throat> we mentioned also with the Vogelbach trade about adding guys who are more major league ready who may not have as high of a ceiling as some of these younger prospects. One thing on that front also, it's not just that they can help now. It's also more of a proven commodity. You know what I mean? Let's like, be honest. Sherrington has struck out a lot on those yeah, high yeah, raw he, prospects. He really has. If you look at Ben Sherrington's trades, if you look at who's panned out. Hudson had Omar Cruz. Yeah. I mean, better mm-hmm. And you look None. at the guys who've worked, David Bednar had major league experience. Will Crow had major league experience. Ronzi Contreras was already levels. Yeah, upper level of the minors. So, you know, that that's a very good point, too, that one thing that Ben Charrington has struggled at as general manager is bringing in these younger guys in Hudson Head, like you said, is just a perfect example of that. I mean, yes, they have a ton of high ceiling, but with an Oviedo, for example, maybe his ceiling's not quite as high as another pitcher they could have potentially gotten, but you know what his floor is, and you know, worst case scenario, he's a very valuable bullpen arm. And with your window, like I said earlier, in theory, your window opening up in the next year, year and a half, you, you're going to start to value that over the potential you know, lottery tickets that might be a superstar or an above average player in three to four years. But you know with – a guy like Oviedo, again, worst case scenario, you have a really good reliever already on your hands. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a safe trade, I think. It's and it's a very good trade. I was sitting on a bus actually when it went down texting with a buddy about it before we saw the return. And um, you know, my thought was, hey, if we get the top ten out of this, that's amazing. And uh the Pirates did. Uh, they got Malcolm Nunez, I believe he was number 10 on MLB.com, um, there for the Cardinals and uh he said Oviedo, a steady, close arm as well. Um, so going to be exciting to, to kind of see when these guys get up. Should be soon here. Uh, and Nick, I think you have something else here on, on the trade. Yeah, I mean, we completely ignored the other part of this deal. It's Chris Stratton going in. <laughs> Very true. Um, you know, Stratton, had, I feel like we got to kind of give him some credit because he very much turned his career around here in Pittsburgh. And – you know, he was a guy that I, when they brought him in, I didn't think he was going to really last long here. You know, I thought it was going to be one of those, hey, we're picking him up and we're going to DFA him in a couple weeks, you know. But to his credit, he he's stuck here and he did a very good job in our bullpen until this year. I mean, I thought maybe last trade deadline they were going to trade him. And probably looking back, they probably wish they would have, you know. and But they would have gotten probably more value for him. Um, one thing I want to mention though, is the value of just getting him off our 40 man roster going into next yeah. year. He's controlled through next year, I believe. Right, Marty. So the Cardinal that's now on the Cardinals, um, you know, to deal with for us, you know, it's a lot easier to have him come off the roster this way than having to try to make a, a cut decision, um, in the fall. So the fact that they were able to get him off their 40 man was, you know, such a tight 40 man roster coming up, you know, that was definitely, I think part of the value in that trade. Yeah. One thing with that too, Chris Stratton is the team's uh, player was the team's player union rep, very widely respected in that clubhouse. I know his wife does a lot in the community and for charities and stuff in Pittsburgh. So 
having to make a roster decision of of non-tendering a guy like that, which they most likely were going to do, is always a lot more difficult to as opposed to saying, hey, Chris, you've been great for us on the field. You've been great for us in the clubhouse. Your family's been tremendous in the Pittsburgh community. Here you're going to St. Louis, go try and win a World Series. You know, that's and those are the kind of things I think people don't realize do indeed factor into decisions in baseball. Especially the veterans, man. Yes. You you want to be seen as a as an organization that if you're not contending or you have a veteran who's not getting playing time, you're going to take care of those vets. That's very much why Jake Marisnik was released because it gives Marisnik was not going to have playing time here when he came off the injured list, but it gives him the opportunity to go somewhere where he does have playing time to try and earn a contract this off season or to potentially go sign with a contender to try and win another world series. And those types of things to the, to the average fan, you probably don't think anything about it, but you better believe that when guys are free agents, especially veterans, that is something that they will take into consideration and will make the Pirates – it will give the Pirates a positive image in their mind. It's like when they traded Dyson that year. He was unhappy. Mm-hmm. He, he was ready to go, and they said, all right, and they, they figured it out. you know. And like you said, especially a team like the Pirates who are going to take a lot of these one-year flyers on these guys, uh, it just you know gives an example of what could possibly happen for them, you know, resurrect their career maybe a little bit and also end up either in a good spot where you did you know bring your career back or you get traded at the deadline to a playoff team i know that's not necessarily what pirate fans want to hear uh you know but at the end of the day like if if you haven't been paying attention that's how they they need to operate (laughs) yeah that's a great point i mean that's something i think you don't really think about a whole lot you don't really consider it's it's movable pieces as a fan at times um you know you don't think about the guys much and that's something i really liked that that michael McHenry said i think it was almost about a year ago at this point but he noticed immediately this this regime ben sherrington how much different they are than the the last one in just person you know personability and, and understanding the players and working with them and um you know it's not to say that neil huntington didn't care about his players and and all that but I think Ben Sherrington has made it a point to, to get in here and really get to know his guys and, uh, you know, respect them and put them in good situations like that. So happy to see Chris Stratton move on to St. Louis in the trade, and hopefully he will have success there. But the two big headline trades, Daniel Vogelbach and uh, Jose Quintana as well. Um, you know, as we kind of look around the rest of the trade deadline, there were some huge deals that I think could reshape the way, you know, we even think about baseball. That might be a little bit dramatic, but, you know, Juan Soto turns down one of the largest deals uh, that was offered in, in baseball history and uh, is now traded to the San Diego Padres. What were you guys' thoughts on the Soto deal, other big deals like this? And, um, you know, how is the game changing when it comes to the trade deadline? You know, to an extent, I compared the Juan Soto deal to when the Edmonton Oilers traded Wayne Gretzky. Um, it, it's impossible, impossible to equal value for a player like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all things considered, I thought Washington did okay, but the fact they also included Josh Bell in that and also could not dump Patrick Corbin's contract in the process, if I was a Nats fan, I mean, I would feel a little underwhelmed, which I think you were going to no matter what. But I, I think the craziest thing about this is you look at everything the Padres did. You go out and get Soto. You go out and get Bell. You go out and get Brandon Drury. You go out and get Josh Hader. You're still not the best team in your division. 
you're still not the best. Even with those four to go with Tatis, with that starting rotation, with Manny Machado, with Cronenworth, and you're still not the best team in your division. That is guy and to Dodgers, it was almost like the Dodgers were on a mission to prove that this last weekend when they swept the Padres. That has gotta be frustrating as hell if you're a San Diego's Padres fan. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought it kind of reminded me of you know, an NBA trade in a way. It was kind of like, you know, the first time we've seen a real superstar kind of force his way out of a situation during the season. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in the off season, obviously we've seen huge blockbuster deals and who knows what's going on behind behind the scenes in terms of players, you know, wanting to leave and whatnot. But this was uh, very much covered in the media. Like, you know, it was put out there essentially that Juan Soto wanted out of Washington and was not going to extend there. And, you know, so that kind of hurts the Nationals' return, right? So, like you said, Marty, it's it's very hard to evaluate the trade. You know, hopefully for the Nationals' sake in the trade, some of these guys work out and, you know, they start to show just – upward trajectory that's all that you can ask for is as many of those guys to become big league ball players as possible and you know like you said Mario, for the Padres just makes that NLS more and more exciting um as much as we you know don't care for the Dodgers big market and you know obviously the Padres are kind of a little bit on the other end of that and to see them being aggressive, you know, it's, it's good for baseball, but I do want to put down something we've talked about Marty, a little bit of a thing that's been going out there about the Padres being a smaller market and why can't the pirates do that? You know, and, and I agree to an extent, obviously we know that Bob Nine doesn't spend, but you know, the, the, the Padres owner is worth three times the amount Bob Nutting's worth. So the, as much as the market size may be similar, you know, there's a difference in, in the mentality behind the businessman when you're talking, uh, you know, over $3 billion net worth versus around $1 billion net worth. So that's just something to consider also. And they didn't extend Soto. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a guarantee that they're going to write another, you know, 400 million plus dollar check, whatever it ends up being. Yeah, with, with what you already owe Tatis and Machado and the contract you give Musgrove, I agree that I, I don't think they're going to extend Soto. I think this is the Padres doing everything they can to win the World Series this year and next. And, you know, you, you mentioned the NBA trade aspect of it, and that's a really good comparison. You know, my buddy John, loyal listener to the podcast, shout out. I know you're probably listening to us up in Appleton, Wisconsin right now. Um, and I were talking about it, and we were trying to think of, like – when have we seen a superstar of the caliber of Soto traded? You know, we mentioned Miguel Cabrera, but that was in the offseason. It's like, it like over 20 years ago. Yeah. So like you, you, don't see this, you don't see in season, you don't see trades like this in general in baseball. You especially don't see it in season. So, yeah, it was truly was a just, I mean, it wasn't shocking when it happened because in the what week or so leading up to it, you knew it was going to happen, but it was still a shock. The, see it all occur and I, I will say this if the Padres don't win a World Series this year or next year I think they're really gonna be kicking themselves over this one because 
They gave up a lot, and they're a team who probably was already good enough to win the World Series anyway, and we're going to just be able to keep pouring talent onto this club the next four, five, six years. And now you don't have as much of the farm system as you once did. I mean, the amount of money you've got tied up in Musgrove and Machado and Tatis and whoever else, it's the, the Padres better hope they win a World Series next year. <laughs> the other thing I've been seeing too is like people saying, well, if the Padres decide they don't want to extend them, then they can just trade them and get some of that value back. And it's like, well, I, I feel like if you're the Padres, you don't make that trade with the intent to trade him ever. Yeah. Like you, you have no intentions of that. I mean, he's got what two years left? Like this year, next year. Correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? When are they going to trade him? <laughs> yeah. like, like, if you're trading him next year at the trade deadline, in theory, you should once again be one of the best teams in baseball. And making trades like that when you're contending is look at the Milwaukee Brewers. They've been a mess since they traded Hader, and it's not that they don't physically have Hader out there to pitch. It's I think it's what it's done to that clubhouse because they were the players were not happy about it. And you run that risk as much as anything if you do something like that. Yeah. I mean, when you have to come out with a press conference to explain a decision uh, like they did in Milwaukee with Hader, probably not a good look. No. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's a blockbuster deal. I think that's a brilliant comparison there, Nick, with the NBA. Because, you know, that's kind of why I asked how this is going to affect the game. We haven't seen this, and, and this is something that you got to hope doesn't continue to occur. Uh, you know, maybe if you're a, a hype beast and you, and you like this kind of stuff, you do. But baseball has been such a game of loyalty. And, um, you know, we're seeing guys like Mike Trout accept those deals for 11, 12 years. Um, you know, this Juan Soto situation is, is kind of changing things. And like you said, Josh Bell on that deal, too. Uh, just an insane trade. And, um, you know, for the Padres, it's it's win or go home here. Think about it, guys. I mean, they they spit on Manny Machado a few years ago. That was the big blockbuster deal. Uh, they've had these runs of, of middle infielders and pitchers now, and and this, you know, hopefully will push them over the hill. But uh, it's um, you know, it's been a struggle there in San Diego. Uh, as we kind of move on from the trade deadline, it was a crazy trade deadline, and um, you know, a lot to talk about there. There was some some exciting news that came out right in the middle of it all. We were waiting on a contract, expected to see Tremar Johnson sign with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he did. Uh, Tremar Johnson officially signed for seven point two million dollars. A bit over slot here. What were you guys thought on that number? Do you think that's that's fair for a player of his caliber? And um, you know, how does this kind of change your mind on on what the Pirates are trying to or willing to do with these high end uh, draft picks? It was pretty interesting to me, and you kind of that last part you just said there, like. After we saw them last year kind of take their big bonus pool and spread it, this year it was a lot more focused on, I mean, Tamar. He got, like you said, slightly above slot, but when you compare it to Henry Davis last year, Davis took like, I think it was almost $3 million under. So it was it was different, like you said, for the, the Pirates and to see them operate in that direction instead Johnson obviously people know if you've looked into him the scouting report that he's you know supposed to have an elite bat one of the best bats uh in the draft in years so I'm I was fine with giving him an overslot deal I didn't know what to expect I figured he'd be around you know probably be slot um but as the other signings started to come in you I kind of got the feeling you know, he was going to be over slot. So 
but it wasn't anything that was detrimental to the rest of our draft class. You know, they were able to pretty much secure everybody they wanted, plus maybe get the best bat in draft. He made his debut actually uh, this morning uh, in the Florida Complex League. He did go for two, but he made contact both times. Um, you know, so it's good to see him getting into game action, and hopefully, you know, we we get to you know see a little more of, of, of bats by him. As the draft started unfolding, even before they started signing players, it became pretty clear to me that Jonathan was going to sign for overslot. Um, I just kept waiting for the Pirates. They kept going underslot, underslot, underslot pick. I just kept waiting for them to make a big overslot draft selection. Like we saw last year with Salometo, with Bubba Chandler, with Braylon Bishop, with Lonnie White Jr., and it never came. When it never came, I was like, all right, they're going to be giving a lot of money to Johnson. Like Nick said, I'm cool with it. He might be the best pure hitter, not just in this draft, but in quite a while. Um, I truly believe that next to Drew Jones, who good luck to him in a shorter recovery, you would hate to see a player of his caliber already have his career messed up by injuries. Um, I, I do believe the next to Drew Jones, Johnson has the highest ceiling of any player in this draft, um, and has probably one of the highest floors also. So you, when a player like that, you do whatever it takes to get them on board. And you, you know, you, you look at the pirates now with him and you, couple years down the road, if you can talk about an infield of Key Brian Hayes, O'Neill Cruz, and Tamar Johnson, that, that's going to be better than a lot of infields in baseball. So, you know, hopefully things pan out. Uh, it will be really intriguing to watch Johnson the rest of the summer and see how he does in the complex league. And, you know, hopefully next year the season starts, the Pirates will be aggressive and send him to Bradenton right from the get-go. Excuse me. You know, he's supposed to, he has this advanced bat. Let's see it. Let's see it in low A from the get-go next year. Yeah. Hey, maybe uh, throw Henry Davis on the other corner of that infield too, and you really have something there. Um, but it, it's you know it's it's worth it, and it's exciting. I think both drafts are exciting. Last year's draft and this year's draft exciting for different reasons. You know, you get that that fun, um, you know, heavily talked about pick, and you get to sign them uh, a little bit over slot there. Uh, stark contrast to last season, of course, the Pirates went uh, heavy under slot with that number one overall pick, and then we we're able to go over slot throughout the rest of the draft. And you know, this year we we're kind of sitting there waiting. Second round, uh, the compensatory round, and, and some of these other picks came in. Didn't really get too excited. Uh, but Jack Brannigan was one of those names, and he has been unbelievable so far in single A. What are your thoughts on Brannigan, and how quickly can a guy like this move up through the organization? Yeah, Brannigan, next to Johnson, Brannigan was probably my favorite pick in this draft. Um, I think he's a kid who can climb the organization very quickly. Uh, we are recording here on Tuesday night. And tonight with Bradenton, Brannigan was two for five with a double. He's already got a home run and two doubles in three games with Bradenton. Um, he's hitting 455 with an OPS over 1,400. So, you know, very small sample size, obviously. But he's off to a great start in his professional career. Uh, he was a player that I was, you know, you go back look at the season he had in Notre Dame. In the postseason, he was huge for the Fighting Irish. A big-time power potential bat over there at third base. Uh, when he was announced draft day, he was announced as a two-way player. Uh, unless I've missed something, which I don't think I have, he has not pitched yet. But it will be very intriguing to see if he gets an opportunity to pitch as well. Um, I don't think his ceiling is as high as a pitcher. Is probably capped off of being a reliever. And with that bat being a potential real power bat, you're probably going to see what he has in that. But yeah, Brand Brannigan next to Johnson was probably my favorite pick in the draft because a combination of, I think, his ceiling is super high, even if he does just hit. And he's also a player that I think could, could climb through the organization pretty quickly. Yeah, just a quick note there, Marty. Bubba Chandler last year, he did not 
pitch he just hit when he after he signed. You know, I think that's just more or less they know they've pitched this year, probably doing some little bit of side work, but you know, for the most part, just getting them accustomed to the organization and not putting more stress on the arm. Um, like you said, he's got a lot of potential. It's interesting to see another two-way player come into the organization. Um, him and Chandler are actually on a roster together. So, you know, I, we were talking about this before the show. I'm, I'm interested to see if those two kind of stick together as they move up through the system and develop as two-way players um, or, you know, or not. So, but overall, um, you know, he's been probably the most notable draft prospect, you know, so far to really, um, you know, make an impact immediately. And also he's probably, I think, played the most games out of any of our draft picks so far. So, just interesting to see that they're kind of being aggressive with getting him going. Yeah. Definitely uh, going to be a fun player to follow. And as we kind of put a bookend on the 2022 draft, just your, your guys' thoughts on on everything else that went down. And, you know, maybe some other guys that, that got you excited there, guys you could see turning the corner in the organization. Um. Yeah, two other players I really like out of the draft, both pitchers, uh, Thomas Harrington, a college pitcher who it seems like he's already got multiple plus pitches. Another guy who I think could climb the system very quickly. And, you know, we, we could see him in the majors maybe as early as early in the 2024 season, maybe even late next year at the Pirates going to be super aggressive and he pitches well. And then prep lefty, Michael Kennedy, um, another kid who I like a lot. I thought of, of the prep guys, not named Johnson. They took in the draft and there weren't many of them. Um, Kennedy was my favorite. I, do think that he was a guy that if there was an overslot pick other than Johnson, it was Kennedy. Um, good stuff from the left side. I will be curious to see where he shakes out also. Cause I think he could, you know, two, three years down the road, you could be looking at a top five to 10 organizational prospect potentially in Kennedy. Yeah. Oh, there we go. So, you know, with Kennedy, Marty, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I, the thing I like about him is the, the arrows upward with him. I think it's one of those that the draft was, and I know, you know, it's a pretty common saying, but the draft was a month later, he probably would have went, you know, higher than he did. Uh, he's one of the youngest players in the draft class too, which is, something that this front office seems to kind of, you know, look for, they, they look for the younger college players and the younger prep players just gives them more time to develop them, uh, you know, more bang for their buck, essentially. Um, you know, the, the guy I'm interested to see is Hunter Barco, um, our second round pick, the lefty out of Florida. He's currently first off, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. So, you know, that's always a question mark, but, uh, you know, obviously, I'm sure the Pirates did their background work into his physicals and made sure that everything checked out. Um, you know, in terms of just his ability, this guy was a, a potential first-round pick, you know, a few years ago in the draft out of high school. He chose to go to Florida instead. And, you know, Florida's a tough uh, tough college team. You know, they, they, they are in the – 
they're competitive every year. They have guys being drafted at the top of the draft every year. So Barco didn't necessarily get to step right in and, you know, be that guy in Florida this year. He was off to a, a very good start with them. Um, so I'm just kind of interested to see, you know, what he looks like when he comes back um, and if, if that potential is still there or not. Yeah. I'm right there with you. That was the one guy uh, outside of Johnson that got me excited because that ceiling is just so high. Uh, really did get off to a hot start there this season before the injury. Uh, but, you know, overall, this draft looked a lot different than uh, we'll call it real draft number one for Ben Sherrington in 2021. Um, you know, and all three have really looked unique, 2020, 2021, and now 2022. But Termar Johnson, uh, obviously the headliner there. And good to see the Pirates sign him and, you know, get these other guys off to a hot start as well. As we kind of do some some housekeeping here on some of the transactions that have gone down, you mentioned that Marty Jake Marisnik is gone. He's been released, uh, and you know, hopefully, he's able to find a new team, like you said, maybe this off season. Um, Tukapita Marcano is is returned now. Yoshi Satsugo finally released, and you know, let's stop it right here for a moment. We had talked about it a little bit a couple episodes ago. How you know this was due. This needed to happen for a lot of different reasons. But what do you guys think was the final? Uh, factor there in, in Susugo's release. I mean, I honestly think as big of a factor in it as anything is that they're now comfortable playing Bly Madrish at first base. Um, ever since Susugo has been released, we've seen Madrish starting to give some playing time at first base. And I, I do think that was truly was a factor that they didn't want to throw Bly out there until they felt like he was ready to play first base at the major league level. And at the same time, you wanted to give Susugo as, as much as myself and countless others disagreed with it. You wanted to give Susugo every opportunity leading up to the trade deadline to try and get anything at all going to potentially have any trade value whatsoever. And that just didn't happen. But yeah, it was, it was a move that, you know, had been a long time coming, which was unfortunate because when Yoshi first got to Pittsburgh last year, he, he was really good down the stretch, but you know, you look at the rest of his career numbers and it's very clear to that, that stretch was just an, a bit of an aberration for him, but, you know, hey, it is what it is. And now we're probably going to see a lot of Bly Madras and Michael Shave as a first base rest of the way this year. Which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited it'll for be that. Interesting. Sorry, Nick, go ahead. I was just saying it'll be interesting to see if Yoshi ends up sticking around in the uh, MLB or if he ends up going back overseas to, you know, kind of finish his career. Yeah, it's uh, that really is going to be uh, interesting to watch. There, I'm probably leaning. He's going to head home there on that one. Um, but you know, maybe somebody else will take a chance on him. Unfortunate, like you said, Marty. Uh, you know, kind of how it worked out this season. But um, that really speaks to the rest of his career as well. And Nick, I think he kind of called this. I saw an article uh, about Kevin Padlo before this this claim happened by the Pirates. Um, did you have a crystal ball or something on that? What's that? <laughs> I think you had an article out earlier in the week about how the Pirates needed a can- needed a claim uh, Kevin Pablo from the Mariners, uh, and then it happened. Yeah, I mean he's an interesting um, guy to add to the organization. Marty and I were talking about this with Pablo. It's it's a little like okay, you know, why did they pick him up? But I think it was just honestly they felt like they were getting a valuable player with a with their waiver pickup. This is a former 
top 20 prospect in the Colorado Rockies organization who was traded to the Tampa Bay Rays, um, who, you know, we know how they value uh, prospects, especially. So, you know, to go along with that, you know, I mentioned this in my article, he was actually the other player traded with Corey Dickerson to the Rays. So it's kind of interesting now Padlo is coming through the Pittsburgh Pirates organization as well. Um, he has power potential, right-handed power potential, you know, and that's something that we don't have a lot of in our organization. Um, you know, he put up very good numbers last year at the minor league level. He hasn't gotten, he hasn't done a lot at the big league level, but he also hasn't had a huge sample size at the big league level. And, um, you know, overall, it's a, it's a low risk thing. I mean, it's, he's at triple a, the fact that they're able to send him down and not have to take up a big league roster spot with him also was probably, you know, part of why they claimed him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a smart. I'm interested move, like to see how he develops. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm just no not doubt, sure, no you know, if there's any clear playing time. Uh, going forward for him but yeah yeah I'm with you there it's uh you know you're taking a chance at least and it's a it's a smart move with that with that waiver claim there um you know as we kind of wrap it up tonight guys got to get to our minor league minute here there's always so much going on in the minor league system we touched on some of it tonight but uh, if you guys just kind of want to highlight your favorite thing from the minor leagues this week, Ronzi Contreras dominated again last night we see Bubba Chandler Anthony Solomedo combining yet again uh, what would you guys do the week in the minor leagues? Uh, to me, I think uh, for the week in the minor leagues, I would we got to mention Andy Rodriguez. Um, you know, one of the big pieces of the Joe Musgrove trade, really probably the piece left that can prevent that trade from being a complete disaster for Pittsburgh. Um, having a tremendous season for Hyatt Greensboro. Finally got promoted to double-A Altoona. And Tuesday night with the curve, hit a double and drove in and run in his Altoona debut. So, you know, very, very curious to see where things go with Andy Rodriguez, especially once Henry Davis gets back. You know, Rodriguez, in addition to catching, can play some first, can play some second, can play some third, can play the outfield of the ass too. Um, definitely a player, though, where the prime, the, the the most of his value is in his bat. So that that's always going to be the moneymaker for Rodriguez. So I'll be interested to see how he does with Altoona down the stretch this year and where that sets him up in the pecking order heading into next season. Uh, you mentioned Anthony Solomedo and Bubba Chandler and, you know, Tuesday here, they put together uh, quite a, quite a good start. They kind of have been using them as piggybacks off of each other during the last couple months here. So Solomedo, he pitched four innings, Chandler pitched three innings and Chandler struck out six, Solomedo struck out four. So you're looking at 10 strikeouts and seven innings from those two prep arms. Uh, you know, things look to be, you know, heading in the right direction with them. Um, and Marty, you mentioned Andy Rodriguez getting promoted to Altoona, and this is just something I wanted to kind of hit on. Trey and I were talking about this a little earlier. Leover Paguero, you know, he's been um, struggling at Double A the last month or so, a little over a month. And, you know, looking at his splits, you, you can see the drop-off really starts to happen in mid-June. 
noon. And that's when we really started to see all the roster movement. We saw Nick Gonzalez go to the 60-day DL. We saw Tuca Pita Marcano get uh, called up to the major leagues and eventually sent to AAA. We saw Jack Sawinski get taken from AAA. So, you know, I do wonder how much um, of Paguero's struggles have been you know, A, not having a ton of protection around him in the lineup. Henry Davis was, you know, has been out also, just another bat that was supposed to be in the lineup. Um, but, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of protection around him. And B, is, how much is he maybe pressing to, to be that guy since, you know, he is basically the, the top guy at this point in that lineup. So hopefully maybe getting Andy back up, you know, getting Andy at double A. And like you said, Nick Gonzalez is working his way back maybe – once we get some of those better bats back in that double-A lineup, Paguero will start to, you know, get going again. Yeah, you got to hope so. That was a player I know we were all really excited about, um, you know, back when that trade was made. Uh, one of the the last trades, I believe, uh, under the Huntington regime. So got to hope that it worked. That was, that, first, that was Ben's big first one. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, it was one or the other, either the last or the first. That was, uh, I guess, the first, yeah, so. You know, hopefully that one uh, comes full circle for us there. But, um, yeah, guys, it's been a lot lot to cover in this episode. It's been a fun one. We didn't even get to all of it, so be sure to get back with us next week. I think Tuesday, uh, maybe if that works out for you guys, it's a good night to record here. So we hope to have you guys with us. Again, guys, please go check out rumbunter.com. There's so much out there right now. Wrapping up the trade deadline, uh, covering the draft as we did uh, you know, throughout the last month, and, of course, the season as well, along with the minor leagues. So be sure to check out all the content on rumbunter.com. Oh, follow us on Twitter as well, at rumbunter. Uh, you'll get some laughs, and you will always stay updated uh, with the latest in Pirates news. So be sure to give them a follow. For Marty Lee and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Gannity. Until next week, let's go. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.